Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. And you're here. Thanks for choosing the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Your quest for podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained ends here. We invite you to enjoy all our shows we have on this network. And right now, let's start with Dark Becomes Light with Heidi Hollis. Welcome to our podcast. Please be aware the thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are their thoughts and opinions only and do not reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks, or their sponsors and associates. We would like to encourage you to do your own research and discover the subject matter for yourself. Listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. <laughs> Welcome to my show. Remember, each week, this is the place you go to to hear the latest stories and news, thoughts, opinions, insights on so many different topics from angels to aliens, Bigfoot to holy encounters. This show is all about it, and I want you to know that you can go to my main website, which is HeidiHollis.com. Tell me what's on your mind. Tell me your stories. And if you want to ask questions, I will do my best to give the best insight that I can to uh, shed some light on these things, because sometimes you just have to vent, right? I know that I do, and it really is helpful for me when I get it off my chest. Or shadowfolks.com, if you don't know how to spell Heidi. Uh, a lot of people don't, believe it or not. Uh, I know because I go to Starbucks, and um, they do tend to not spell my name accurately. But that's okay. It's not a common name. I haven't met many Heidis in my lifetime, so I get it. Um, so, anyways... Again, tell me what you'd like me to talk about here on this show, because that's what it's all about. And I have had several people tell me about a certain topic that I can also relate to when it comes to reincarnation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we sometimes think that we may have been here before. And I, for one, can say I have some inclinations on some things and Oh, rather interesting details that um, I think you might find interesting. And, um, you know, I like to dabble in all sorts of topics. I, I don't like to just sit and uh, not get the answers that I, I have a curiosity about. But there is one that's always eluded me for a very long time. And, uh, you know, I said my New Year's resolution is going to be about me being more honest about my spiritual understandings. And uh, so I'm going to be more painfully honest than usual about some of the things that uh, I've come across and come to understand, especially in these last couple of years. And uh, so I'm going to share something uh, about uh, what might 
be potentially a reincarnation type of situation for myself that uh, I recall. And um, so here goes the story. So I was still in college and I was talking to my college roommate, just sitting on the couch, sitting on my futon. And uh, I got up off my couch and I went to go walk across the living room and I was just going to go use the restroom really quick and we're having a conversation and as I go take a few steps away from the couch I mean all of a sudden my vision was changed I wasn't in my living room anymore suddenly I was looking at a scene in space and I knew what I was looking at was the center of the universe. And in the center of the universe was this big, bright light. It was a spinning sun is the best that I can um, compare it to. And there were stars everywhere. And I mean, the stars, oh, I get goosebumps. They were so close closer than I'd ever seen. And I knew this place. I knew this place like it was my backyard, like the back of my hand. I mean, it was so familiar. And um, the sun, it was spinning and it, and it spun clockwise, okay? And up to the, I mean, looking at it from here, <laughs> from this planet, <laughs> to the upper left, there was a spinning red light. And I knew that place, that spinning red light was um, like a library of knowledge, like anything and everything that's ever happened got stored there. And um, it's just so wild to me. And uh, I'm I'm never bored in sharing this. And I, I probably shared a little bit on this in the past, but this is, uh, this uh, always takes me back. Um, so when I'm looking at this scene in space, I see there's trillions upon trillions of lights in this spinning sun, okay? And each of these lights, I know it's a soul. And I'm one of those lights, one of those souls. And uh, I compare it to being like a love soup because this light was just love, and I knew it had a name. It was called the source. Um, thoughts, ideas, goals, missions, lifetimes, everybody, all the lights contributed to a thought that went clockwise in this light too. So it would spin with us, these thoughts, ideas, and everybody would, would, would contribute to the thought as it passed them. And then it would go to the center of the light and it would become one, like it was agreed upon, like this was it. And the thought came by on a mission, literally a mission that needed to be done. And I remember thinking, yeah, that's something I could do. And as soon as I did, I was shot out of this light, this love soup, and it just like pulled my heart. Like I, I just felt like saying, I take it back because <laughs> it hurt so bad to be taken from there. But I was sent to go get trained on other places, so many places to be prepared for this life that I'm living right now, to be born here right now, to be working on the things that I have been working on now. And, um, 
It's just so wild to me. But part of my reason for being here, believe it or not, well, the big part is uh, to be here informing on the topic of shadow people and uh, the hat man phenomenon. Shadow people being these shape-shifting, demonic-like entities that have essentially not originated from this planet, but from others. That sounds strange, doesn't it? But when you think of negativity being a force, does it matter where it comes from? Uh, You know, we see God and angels as being from elsewhere and from above as well. Well, negativity, uh, fallen angels, where have they fallen from? Well, these negative things have come from elsewhere. And uh, so shadow people um, work for a demonic head, or what I named as Hat Man. And as also, I've learned um, by just an image (laughs) of Rudolf Steiner's uh, carving of something called Aramon. It it is the same creature. Hat Man is Aramon. if you don't know what that is, uh, feel free to look up my show where I talk about that, and it's called Aramon. Uh, so I think you'll you'll find that to be interesting. So, and what is Hatman? Um, <laughs> he is today's modern day devil, and he will tell you who he is as well. Funny thing, looking at the statue of Aramon, <laughs> and uh, Rudolf Steiner said this is the devil as well. So not a coincidence. So yeah, coming, um, having these memories and knowing what I came here for has uh, been something of a trip and something I've always tried to find answers for that if other people have experienced such a thing, if other people spontaneously remembered where they came from. Now, mind you, I was standing in the middle of my living room when all this came to me, of what I was supposed to be doing. And I just wanted to drop out of school. I didn't want to be training anymore. I was just done. I just, I had a very difficult time uh, wanting to be here to be working on petty things like a degree. I just wanted to get on top of what I came here for so I could return home. Uh, Not that I wanted to die, but I wanted to hurry up (laughs) and get back home. That that was what was important to me. It was so difficult. Um, but it's interesting. I came across uh, my guest here today, and, and he researches reincarnation. And I popped the question to him and his uh, research group about people who spontaneously recall where they came from. And it was not something commonly heard of. And and I know this because I've asked many a people over the years and researchers, and I just can't seem to find anyone who has heard of such a thing. And I believe it might have been my first incarnation, my first memory before other carnations. So it's just kind of kind of different. But, you know, I'm not certain. I, I remember what I do just to like put me on track to uh, get started. So I have landed where I am today here talking to you guys. Um, so yeah, I, it's it's been quite a ride. And I'm always learning. And uh, this is why I always say I don't judge people for what they believe to be true for themselves. Because hello, I'm the queen of weird. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it, it's like, how, how can I place judgment on people to say, oh, no, that's going too far. I have seen and experienced some extraordinary things, and I am not uh, 
a guru. I'm not a psychic. I'm not a know-it-all. I'm just like anybody else trying to better understand this very strange uh, reality that we are all in. And uh, I'm telling you, after I recalled all of this, I remember one of my first words, here's my friend sitting there and I'm like, how could I forget? How could I forget? How could I forget who I am and what I came here for? Were my exact words. I, I was so taken aback by getting distracted and off the path of what I knew I came here for. And, uh, you know, it's a strange and rare thing, I guess, uh, for people to have that kind of memory, that kind of recall. But, um, you know, children, children are more likely to have these types of understandings because they're so freshly here. I didn't quite understand then why I had the memory return, but now I really, really do. And I always say I'm painfully honest about the things that I understand that have come my way, but there has been a very major topic that I have not addressed. And um, with good reason, with good reason, it has a lot of attachments to it. And I promised myself uh, that I'm going to tackle it this year and I will be doing that. So in the near future, I'll find a way. <laughs> oh boy, but you guys are in for a treat because uh, we're going to talk all reincarnation. And uh, I think it's, I think it's going to really uh, be a pleasant surprise what you learn here. All right, you guys, you are listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Stick around. We will be right back. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. 
Hey folks, we need your music. Hey, it's producer Tom at Coast to Coast AM, and every first Sunday of the month, we play music from emerging artists just like you. If you're a musician or a singer and have recorded music you'd like to submit, it's very easy. Just go to coasttocoastam.com, click the Emerging Artist banner in the carousel, follow the instructions, and we just might play your music on the air. Go now to coasttocoastam.com to send us your recording. That's coasttocoastam.com. Welcome back. You are listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM <laughs> Paranormal Podcast Network. As promised, I have a fabulous guest. James, or Jim Matlock, received a BA in English from Emory University and a PhD in Anthropology from the University of Southern Illinois at Carbondale. He has worked at the American Society for Psychical Research in New York City and at the Rhine Research Center in Durham, North Carolina, and is presently a research fellow of the Parapsychology Foundation in New York. Jim manages a popular Facebook group called Signs of Reincarnation and teaches a 15-week online grad-level seminar on reincarnation research and theory. He's the author of Signs of Reincarnation, Exploring Beliefs, Cases, and Theory, and is a co-author of I Saw a Light and Came Here, Children's Experiences of Reincarnation. So I'd like to give a warm welcome to Jim Matlock. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm just fine. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. You have been involved in a lot of areas of research in so many different forms that involve reincarnation. And I'm, I'm curious, what got you involved in this topic? My, my lifelong dream, you know, at least in, in through childhood until, until through college, was I wanted to be a writer, a, you know, a fiction writer. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I struggled like many writers do, just couldn't make money at it. So I decided, well, I'm going to try to do some nonfiction. So I went to my local library um, I was living in Arlington, Virginia at the time. And I, so I went to my local library and I was looking around. And I had gotten interested in esoteric type things. So I was looking in that area. And I, I, I came on books on reincarnation, right? Uh, this was back, you know, late 70s, you know. So there wasn't, the new age stuff was beginning to come out then. Um, and that's, that's basically what there was. And there were some of Ian Stevenson's books too. Um, and I sort of looked at them, but they were different from the others. So I started off with the easy ones, right? Uh, and then got to Stevenson later. But when I got to Stevenson, I, I saw the difference immediately. And uh, that's what got me hooked. But it wasn't, you know, I didn't grow up with thinking about it. You know, that's how I got into it. That's amazing. Do you know people that uh, experience this and just so happen to bring this up to you? It, it seems to be that when people are involved in a certain area of such research, it just seems like you're, you've got a target painted on your back. Like people suddenly spontaneously start speaking on these things. Has that been something that you've experienced? Well, yeah, you know, sometimes, I mean, you know, uh, it, it used to be, I don't, I don't go out so much now, but when I was younger, you know, and, and I would talk about it at parties or whatever, some people would, would say things, yeah, you know, and I did some, you know, I started doing interviews then, you know, but, um, but 
it has sort of changed over time as I, as I got more involved in the, uh, the professional aspect of it. That's you amazing. Know, I, I just, uh, you know, it, it, the way I, I dealt with it changed. That's amazing. I, I just find these odd coincidences to be uh, of importance somehow. Like we get triggers through our lifetime and uh, it points us in that direction. And we, when we reflect back, we're like, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so did say something or, or this happened. And I, I just find those, uh, those little markers along our path to be so important. It, what, yeah. what have been some of these revelations that you found in some of your deep research into these topics? Uh, I, let me just say, I mean, I've done two types of research. I've done sort of book research, right? Reading and studying. And, and I've also done research by talking to people, right? So, uh, you know, and then investigating cases, going beyond just talking to people, but actually if there's a good case of this, and we, I need to sort of maybe explain for, for listeners who don't know what it is that I'm studying, what it is that I'm studying, right? You know, and, and that is what, what, I'm, what reincarnation research is interested in, at least mine, the way that what I do is not, not the regression stuff, not past life regression, which many people associated with reincarnation research, but with people, um, particularly young children, and they could be two or three years old, sometimes even younger than that, when they begin to start saying things and relating memories of previous lives. And that's what I'm interested in, the young children uh, who you know, talk about uh, previous lives, seem to remember them. Um, because when it's sometimes with the young kids, they'll say enough things, they'll remember names, they'll remember enough details that you can actually go and figure out who they were, what, whose life they're remembering, right? Um, and then once you've made that connection and know who they're talking about, then you can compare the two, those two lives. And that's where it really gets fascinating. And so that, that's, that's sort of, you know. Now, is that is that typical for those who look into the topic of reincarnation? Do they generally look for the young children or are, are there some that specialize differently? Well, the, you know, they're beginning to get some who specialize in adult cases. Uh, but yes, Ian Stevenson, who started this, uh, this study, systematically in the 19, early 1960s, um, worked mainly with children. He also worked with some older subjects too, uh, but mainly with children because it turned out that uh, they have the strongest, most developed kind of memories. And uh, they're the most likely, we use the word solved, that's when we've, we've actually begin being able to verify and um, trace the previous person that they're talking about. Um, uh, they have the better developed cases. I mean, they have more memories, they have behaviors that turn out to correspond to behaviors of the youth person. They may have, also have physical traits that correspond, it turns out, to the previous person. So um, he preferred to work with young children for that reason, partly. And the other, the other, the other, the other part of the reason was that, um, from an evidential point of view, because he was trying to to show that this stuff you really can't explain any other way except for reincarnation, um, is that with young kids you can you can be pretty sure because they've been at the home the whole time, right around their mothers or whatever. Um, they haven't been out, you know, and um, uh. He worked a lot overseas, you know, and back in the 60s and 70s where, they, you know, many of these families didn't have TV, there wasn't internet and all this. And so there weren't many sources of information, right, outside the family. So you could be relatively sure that the kids couldn't have learned these things that they're saying somewhere. So, so. Interesting. So some of these patterns that uh, you share in some of your research, can you share 
hear what some of those patterns are. Sure. Um, well, let me start with some of the basic ones. Um, the, the kids start really early. I mean, as I say, two or three, up to maybe four, you know, five is when they start talking about the memories. And then after five, they're usually, not always, but usually they start to fade. Um, and so you have this, this short window here where you can get them, you know, you can find them, you know, the really interesting um, ones. Um, and then as they get older, you know, and in later childhood, mostly they'll fade. Um, but not always. We know now, we have studies now of memory, past life memory retention, and we know that some, some children retain some of their memories into adulthood. But by and large, so they tend to forget. So those are, those are part of the patterns cross-culturally that we see and over time, because we have these cases going way, way back in time now. People have found them mentioned in very early historical sources. Um, and it's always the same sort of thing. All right. So along with that, you know, there'll be these, there'll be memories, just spontaneous memories, right? That they'll talk about. Symptoms and dreams, but very often with the young kids, just in the waking state. And then when you, when you can um, verify their memories and identify the previous person, solve the case, then you can compare the two lives. And then that's when you start seeing that their personalities are the same, that they're behaving in ways that are similar, right? You know, maybe they have a birthmark that corresponds to something. It, it can be a wound. Many people know about that. But it can also be like earring holes or something. Anything that's personal to the person can show up as a birthmark. And sometimes birth defects, too. So those are the basic sort of things that we see. That's amazing. So the the children that you've come across, you mentioned going overseas uh, prior that a lot of the, a lot of the research that I was coming across did seem to gather a lot of um, information from overseas. Is it yeah. is it culturally more acceptable in these places, or you know what what sure. are you seeing with that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Because you, if you go to places like India or Burma or Thailand, you know they're Buddhist or Hindi, Hindu cultures, right? They believe in reincarnation. And so there isn't so much resistance when you have these children. Or in the Middle East, like the Jews people, believe in reincarnation. And when you, you go into a society that already has that belief in place, and you've got a kid who, who you know, who, who seems to remember a previous life, you sort of more accept it. Whereas in the States, or in Britain, or in Europe, you know, it's, it's becoming, it's different now. People do listen and pay attention more than they used to, but there's still sort of the tendency to be wary of it, right? And, and not take it so seriously. Um, but, but these cases do occur in the West too. It's not that the parents are encouraging this pattern in these other cultures though, is it? Or why no. are these coming forward so much more easily sometimes? Yeah, no, it's not necessarily. In fact, they'll often discourage it because they're afraid of it. And they have various techniques uh, to actually try to suppress the memories. And some of these are kind of magical. Or they seem kind of silly, like turning the kid counterclockwise on a potter's wheel, something like that, right? It's supposed to inhibit the memories because they're afraid of various things. They can be afraid that 
they're going to cause problems for them if they get older. They can be afraid that if the case is solved, the other family is going to come want to get them. Uh, they can be afraid if, they, if the kids are remembering the murderer, that, that the murderer is going to come kill them or some, things like this, you know. So, so, yeah, even in these cultures, even though they're, they're more receptive, they're not necessarily encouraging them. That's uh, something I hadn't thought of. You know, if they were murdered yeah. or something, or uh, past life might come to haunt them in that regards. But yeah. that's that's yeah. wow. That, yeah, so some things to food for thought. Um, well, we're gonna get to our next break. You guys, you are listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Stick around. We'll be right back. LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. LASIK, LASIK.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melody. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Welcome back. You are listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I have Jim Matlock, who is speaking about his fascinating research when it comes to reincarnation. And we're speaking of children, especially those overseas that come from different backgrounds and uh, have interesting reasons why the family might uh, suppress some of the memories i thought it was something more supportive but jim you gave a really interesting uh angle on it to, to think that some of these families are 
they would see it as, as being problematic for them in their future, that they would recall such a thing, or even if they were murdered, that uh, the past murderer might come to get the kid or something. So that's perspectives I, I certainly would have never thought of, because when I think of reincarnation, and I don't know about others, but I think of, you know, big gaps between lifetimes. But what is the pattern that you're seeing with that, with the time period between lifetimes with these children? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that's a really good question and something that, uh, yeah, uh, that, that, because many people do think of a very long time between lives, maybe even centuries. Um, and there is a difference between Asia and the West, because we do have these cases in the West too. But in Asia, the time, the period between lives is often only a few months or most a few years. The median um, time is only like 15 months. Right. You know, median, that means they're half as many shorter and half as many longer. So there are plenty with longer, too. But um, but 15 months and that's between death and rebirth in, in that in that short period of time. Not all that much has changed. Right. And, and so when you solve a case, when you verify it and the kids um, and, and the other thing in Asia is that most of these lives are not are lived not that far away. Again, talking about the median, it's only 25 kilometers, which is like 15.5 miles. That's all the distance between the lives, um, and and that means that the kids can go back there, right? And they can meet the people that they were before, or the families can be afraid that they will, right? Um, and so, so that's why it's, there's two things in combination. They lived the previous lives not long before and then not far, not far away that create these sorts of fears. And that's what you see in Asia. Is, that's an interesting pattern. So the people often reincarnate within their same community. It, I, there's less adjustment period, that's for sure. Um, I would imagine that doesn't happen all the time. So is that the odd person out all the time out of games and social activities? Are they being reincarnated in a culture they're not used to, potentially? Potentially. I mean, there are what we call these international cases or inter-ethnic cases, too, um, I, within a country. It's, it's not always, you know, within your what I like to call comfort zone, you know, you're saying, but, but very often it's, it is in the same ethnic group, the same religious group, um, uh, as well as the same region. Uh, now in larger countries like the United States, it could be a more of a distance, but still in the United States, right? So, um, but yes, there are some cultures, uh, there, are some, there are some cases uh, that uh, the previous life was in a very different culture. Uh, these international cases. They That's really interesting. You know what it makes me think of? I'm sure you've heard of uh, when people cross over to the other side and they mention having these soul groups, these family soul groups. And yeah. it's as if they experience life on that side and come back even always together on this side. So if there's many family members or soul members still on this side, they reincarnate uh, potentially to be back with them. Is that something that's very plausible? Well, I, I guess it's a little bit complicated. Um, on the one hand, uh, yes, we do see a lot of cases like family connections, like particularly if a child dies very young, it's very likely to come back to the same parents. And there, there can be other, you know, even if, you know, grandparents often come back as grandkids, you know, or great grandchildren or something. I mean, there are a lot of cases that, are in, that have family connections like that. 
Um, but beyond family connections, although there are cases, there are plenty of cases with, with acquaintance connections, we call them, family, acquaintance, strangers, three classifications here. Still, there are a lot of stranger cases too. So, so yeah, on the one hand, we do see reincarnations to people we knew before, right? Um, but on the other hand, you asked about, you know, the intermission period is what we call it, the period between lives, the discarnate period. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, we don't see, at least in these spontaneous cases, the, the, these cases where, you know, where, where the kids are just talking about their memories, we, they don't talk about having uh, been with soul groups um, so much. I mean, it's an idea that's definitely out there, and you get it in, in the regression stuff but you don't get it in these spontaneous cases, which is quite interesting, you just don't. Um, It's very rare uh, that that they they see somebody there that they later reincarnate with, very rare. So those uh, cases of people where they make a soul connection, like they they met their soulmate and they're just like, this was meant to be, do you find sometimes that it was meant to be because they actually did know each other priorly or? Well, yeah, I mean, that's sort of the assumption when people, that's often what they mean by soulmates, people who've been together with before. Um, you know, you know, and it's possible, right? I mean, if you're reincarnating in the same area, life after life, after life it's logical you can run into the same people again. But, you know, but we don't see in the cases. Now, it may be, I mean, we only have like, 1,700 um, of soft cases, and that's a fair number, right? But if you think about how many people there are, it's not very many. And, all. and so it's a really a, quite a small sample. In one way, it's a big sample, but in, in other ways, it's really a small sample, and we have to keep that in mind. So, you know, what we see in that sample isn't necessarily representative of everything that's going on, right? And we need to keep that in mind, too. Uh, but in those 1,700 cases, and it's a little bit more than that, but in that 1,700 plus cases, we just, we don't see that sort of thing, right? We don't see, when we compare two lives, we don't see people hooking up again, you know, in two lives. When a case becomes solved, uh, that's interesting. So there are 1,700 that have been solved where you're able to connect the dots and figure out um, where a child may have come from. So it's kind of a big deal when you're able to connect those dots. I thought this yeah. was something that happens a lot more often, but huh, that's, that's interesting. I, in this field, having been in it for so long, I've come across many a people who say, oh, I have a, a memory of, but yeah, connecting right. the dots is the challenge. That, that is not an easy feat, yeah. but I think there's a lot of people that have tidbits. Yeah, I um, now that 1700 uh, comes from uh, Ian Stevenson's um, uh, collection at the at the University of Virginia. It doesn't count other uh, cases that others of us have uh, have investigated. So it, it's more than 1700, but I don't think quite 1800 yet um, of these cases that have been solved. Now, I I have a Facebook group called Signs of Reincarnation, and a lot of people come on there and tell their stories. And it's quite interesting. I mean, you know, a lot of, I would say in the West, we hear, particularly in the United States for some reason, we hear a lot of family connections, family cases. And so if we include all of them, we're going to get a lot more, right? Because those are solved. Those are relatively easily solved, right? If it's a family member. 
Um, you know who it was. But uh, in the 1700 cases, the majority of them are not family members. So that makes them much harder to solve. Uh, and, and that may be that may be one factor, a big factor, keeping the numbers down. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting point to make. It's like you're saying, like uh, there's a an inner realization. I, I've seen um, uh, some programs on television, and uh, the conversations are, you know, a, a child having a memory of something that happened to a, a, a brother that passed or something. And it's like, and then right. they were born and it's like, Oh, it's, right. you know, I wonder how many conversations happen around the kitchen table that just don't get reported because up oh, problem right. solved. Mom recognizes that story. It was her childhood right. past reincarnated. Yeah. Right. And I think, uh, you know, but more and more people are talking about, they talk about it in my group and other, you know, uh, you know, in other groups on Facebook and in Reddit and all over social media, uh, they're talking about these things now much more than they're used to. Um, so I don't think it's that we have more of this sort of thing going on now. I think it's just people feel freer to talk about it. Definitely a lot more accepted. And uh, it's kind of a cool thing to watch because when you have that yeah. inner knowing and and it's nice to be comforted knowing you're not the only one, uh, I, I think it's yeah. uh, it makes a lot of difference out there. And uh, so the research continues. Where are you diving into now? Well, I, yeah, I, I've got I, I've got one case that I've pretty much finished investigating that I've got a, a paper in press, or at least under submission for it hasn't quite gotten when you, you send things to peer reviewed journals, right? The peers have to review them, right? And they, they send you back their comments, and then you have to revise. And that's what the stage is. I haven't yet gotten uh, the comments back. From the reviewers. Um, but this is an interesting case. It's an American case um, of a guy who, in a dream at first, he also had some waking memories, but he had a, he had a nightmarish dream. Uh, started off as night terrors when he was really young, and then a dream, a nightmare of having um, uh, died um, when his car, the car he was riding in, um, was caught in a flood. And uh, just by luck, he managed to, uh, to figure it out. Uh, he happened to be watching um, something on YouTube uh, that was about um, a major flood uh, in, the, in the Los Angeles area. Uh, back in 1937, I mean, uh, people out on the West Coast may be aware, you know, may, may know of it, quite, but those of us on the East Coast, you know, we're just not. Um, it was a 1937 New Year's flood. It was a major flood. I mean, wow. even now. Uh, let's, yeah, let's hold it right there, Jim, so we get to our next break. You guys, you okay. are listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM paranormal podcast network stick around we'll be right back l-a-s-i-k lasik.com have you been thinking about lasik but not sure if you're a candidate just go to lasik.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz in just a few minutes you'll know if lasik is likely right for you and if it is We'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. 
We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's full regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. With age, women and men have issues with fine lines, wrinkles, under-eye bags, crepey skin on the neck, and aging on the hands. Dr. Nathan Newman has developed Luminess for amazing results treating these issues with his stem cell-based formula, APT200. Try Luminess today with our postage-paid starter kit for only $19.99, available exclusively at HealthyLooking.com. Join thousands of satisfied customers using Luminess. Learn more at HealthyLooking.com. Welcome back. You are listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I have Jim Matlock, and he was sharing about a fascinating story about a man who had initially dreamt of drowning in a flood in 1937, you said, Jim? Please continue. Yeah, yes, ni- 1937. Uh, but yeah, I, he, he had this nightmarish dream um, uh, for years, I mean, and it would cause him to wake up um, uh, from it, uh, you know, and he felt like he, he was caught in this flood and uh, he had died. Uh, in it. Uh, and then he, he was uh, watching um, uh, a program on YouTube and, uh, you know, and it gave him the clue and he figured it out. And what it was related to actually was in a major, major event, the night, what's called the 1937 New Year's flood in the LA area. Um, you know, and this continues to happen that, that you get these floods there, right? I mean, you know, every few years, um, you, you get these fires there, right? And it burns off all the vegetation and then you, the rains come, right? You don't get that much rain out there. And so when the rains follow, major rains follow the burn off of all of the vegetation, you can get mudslides. And that's what happened here. It was a major, major mudslide in 1937. Um, it, it happened New Year's Day, early New Year's Day. This, and it, this is a sex change case. He was a girl um, and she was, uh, 
uh, driving with their family. They, they had spent uh, uh, New Year's Eve with friends and they were driving back home. Um, and they just got caught in a freak, a freak accident here where one of the um, streams flowing down from the mountains uh, carrying this huge inundation of water uh, just caught their car. They just happened to be on the bridge at the wrong time. And, uh, but it, it happened exactly as, it, as, as, she had, as he dreamt it having happened. It's really a very interesting uh, uh, story for that reason. Uh, and you know, this points up something that I should note, because we were talking earlier about the cases in Asia having very short intermissions between lives. Here we're talking about an American case that had a much longer one, right? And that's typical. In Western cases, instead of just 15 months, which is the global median intermission length, uh, we're talking about 25, 30 years. Wow. In the West, right? So a big difference. Um, you know, so it's, it's really, so what, so him having a memory of this is not that unusual, really, for an American case. That's amazing. Uh, Do you think there's a reason behind that? Why there's such a big difference in the timing? Yeah, there has to be some sort of a reason. But what I, you know, I think one possibility is we have this idea we ha in the West. We have this expectation as part of our culture that we're going to meet loved ones when we die. Right. And so maybe they hang around for us, you know, it's, it, because they expect to be there for us, or they expect to see us, right? And they, that could be part of it. Another, another possibility is in Asia, you just got a, a, a much greater population density. Um, and along with that, much higher birth rate, right? And so there's more opportunity to come back faster. And so maybe it's a combination of those things. We don't really know. But when we look at the cases, this is what we see. It's a very strong pattern. That's interesting. You know, I'm really, really fascinated about the in-between lifetime. What are you hearing is going on in between this time? Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's, very, it's very similar to NDEs, actually. Um, now, we don't hear too much about the tunnel or the light. Sometimes we do. But in NDEs, they also often talk about, you know, uh, seeing different figures there, right? Spirit figures, sometimes deceased relatives, uh, but, you know, not always. Uh, and in these intermission memories, that's what we call them, intermission memories, um, they'll also see these spirit figures, right? But the, there's, there's an interesting, and here we're coming back to these cultural differences. And here it's easier to explain the cultural differences because they have to do with how people perceive things, right? So in the West, uh, they'll perceive the figures as being Jesus, or angels, or sometimes God. In Asia, they'll talk about figures doing the same sorts of things, that is, guiding them or, you know, helping them out or, you know, teaching them or whatever. But they'll identify them in their terms, right? You know, according to the deities of their area or in Buddhist culture, see them as monks or whatever, you know. Um, and so it's the same sorts of roles, but they're perceived according to the culture. Do they appear the same? Uh, well, no, not necessarily. I mean, you know, uh, they have the same roles, but the appearances are often tailored to that culture too. So that, you know, in, in Asia, they'll be described as wearing uh, yellow or uh, uh, white monk's robes, 
or being attired, you know, as they imagine their deities to be retired, you know. Whereas in the West, they'll say, oh, this person looks like Jesus, whatever, you know, we imagine Jesus to look like, right? Uh, and if you see pictures of Jesus, it's probably not what Jesus really looked like, right? But that's but when they see pictures of Jesus, that's what they, they say, oh, that that's, looks like the person that I saw, so. So does this mean that we have some kind of control over our destiny uh, on the other side in between lives? Um, well, yeah, but that's a different that's a different issue. Yeah, I can talk about that, too. I think what this means is that um, when we die and this makes sense to me, at least when we die, we just like continue. Our consciousness like continues. Right. So our beliefs continue. Our cultural conditioning continues. Right. And so. That, can do, that influences then how we see things, right? Because we're, 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 creation, we're created by our cultures, right? We're influenced and we're shaped by them. And so when we die, all that stuff is still with us. And, and that influences, you know, what we see. What about the atheist that has this type of experience? What is the pattern for them? Well, you know, some of them um, are surprised. I mean, there have been atheists who have NDEs and come back all surprised. Um, there have also been um, people, I don't know, real atheists, but people definitely were, who are not believers um, uh, in survival or reincarnation in particular from Western cultures, right, who have these experiences. So um, it, it doesn't seem to depend on that. Uh, but it, it, but how one, exp what one experiences does seem to depend on on one's, you know, call. Now, it doesn't get to the point where if you don't believe in survival, you're not going to survive. That doesn't get that far, what I'm saying. But, um, but even, even atheist agnostics, if they grew up in, in a Western culture, still have some ideas of Western religions, right? You know, and so that's how they interpret things. So it still remains along the same lines of those uh, that have these experiences and they're agnostic or atheist. They still kind of go along with the cultural surroundings. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something else here, uh, which is really this is statistically very, very, very strong. Um, in in the Asian cases, they imagine the uh, the intermission period, the afterlife as passing not in heaven like we do in Western cases, but in a, in a realistic terrestrial setting. Like they'll talk about spending in a tree, for instance, or, you know, one person who was in a shell, a punk shell, things like this. Wow. And from that, from that, yeah, because they don't have the same idea that they, we go, they go to heaven, right? You know, you know, so they imagine that they stay around, right? You know, here, if you hear things like that, they, we think of... Uh, you know, earthbound souls. I mean, it's the term people would use, that type of thing. Well, uh, in Asia, there are all sort of earthbound souls in that sense, uh, but not in a negative sort of way. That's just how they imagine it. That's Whereas fascinating. It, yeah, it, it really is. And it's, uh, like I say, I mean, when we, uh, when we did a study like this, uh, of looking at these intermission memories cross-culturally, that's one of the things that we found. That's very amazing. That's a, yeah. something you don't hear about very often. How can people get a hold of you if they want to share their experiences or, or get some of your work? Thank you. Uh, yeah, well, if they're on Facebook, the easiest thing to do is to go to my group, Signs of Reincarnation. They can also go to my website, which is jamesgmatlock.com. Uh, 
Um, you know, and I have my email on there and, and other things about me and my papers. Wonderful. You definitely have the appropriate last name for the type of research that you do. <laughs> uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jim. This has been very, very fascinating. Absolutely, Heidi. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Wow. I cannot thank Jim Matlock enough for coming on the show today. Absolutely mind-blowing information. I mean, 15 months for most other places in the world, except for us. I mean, wow. But you know, it kind of makes sense because like if I crossed over and my family members were expecting to see me, I might hang out a little bit longer so I could see them. I mean, that makes sense. So the soul grouping thing, I wonder if that's more exclusive to us over here because of that. But then, hello, here's in the other countries, they are kind of reincarnating within the same society, within the same family. It's it's kind of all over, but they just seem to accept it more. Huh. And food for thought. Absolutely food for thought. But you guys, I want to remind you to go to my main website, which is HeidiHollis.com. And tell me what you want to hear on this show. There's a certain topic you want me to discuss. I am all ears. If there's a story or something that you've experienced and you want some insight, hello, send it on over and uh, I will get to it. And you know what? I got to tell you, too, if you have research or if you know somebody that has research and you want to have that explored here on the show or shared, please do tell me about it. And you are always welcome to come here on this show and share your story directly. But I am telling you, nine times out of 10, people really prefer to have me read the emails off. I don't mind. And the more details you put, the better. So, or you can write me directly at HeidiHollis at gmail.com. So <laughs> H-E-I-D-I-H-O-L-L-I-S or ShadowFolks.com. People seem to remember that one easier. But uh, all right, you know what? You have been listening to Dark Becomes Light with me me, Heidi Hollis, on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. We will see you next time. Please stay safe, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Make sure and check out all our shows on the iHeartRadio app or by going to iHeartRadio.com.